Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode 14, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. And as always, here to help me break down these quarterbacks is quarterback one in my heart. He is Mark Schofield. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Mark, how you doing, brother? I'm doing well, my friend. We are recording this on Wednesday, February 20th. And as the gentle and beloved listeners to this show may or may not know, I live in the D.C. area. And so today we are currently snowed in because D.C., the DMV area, handles snow so very well. We've got about maybe a two, two and a half inches on the ground right now where I'm at. But everything literally shut down, including the federal government last night in anticipation of this snow event. I won't even bless it by saying it's a snowstorm. It's a snow event. See, I'm a guy from Boston. And so this would have been like, okay, well, school is going to be delayed 15 minutes. Right. One of those events. So the whole family's here and you know, tensions are running a bit high. But <laughs> as always, we will start with a historical reference. And nice. I want to talk a little bit about the Battle of New Orleans because mm-hmm. that has sort of lived in lore and has this great legacy and it catapulted Jackson basically to the presidency. But it didn't matter. This is something that, again, working my way through Presidents at War by Michael Beschloss, I was not fully aware of this. But that battle took place in January of 1815. But the previous summer, President James Madison dispatched a couple of emissaries, including Henry Clay, to Belgium to basically negotiate a truce. And on Christmas Eve, over eggnog, the English and American representative reached an agreement to basically end the war and just restore everything to where it was prior to the war beginning. But there were massive storms in the North Atlantic. And so the American emissaries that were dispatched back to the United States to let everybody know of the truce didn't get there for like 42 days. And so while that boat was still traveling from Belgium to New York to dock and then transmit word to the president that, look, hey, everything's done. We can all go home. Party's <laughs> over, kids. Don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Yeah. The Battle of New Orleans happened. <laughs> and so we didn't even need it, but it, it like has lived on in lore and legacy, and it perhaps propelled Andrew Jackson to the White House. It also influenced my process as well as Something I do in the off season and I've been doing recently is getting new intro songs and music and voiceovers and everything for all of the BGN radio shows. And I was doing this yesterday and I sent you a sample of something. And it's funny that you bring up the Battle of New Orleans and I'm assuming you did it because of this. But this is the ones that I kind of played around with and sent to you. So let's let's test run this potential new QB Sco Show intro. Let's hit that right now. Took a little trip along with 
the QB Sco Show. Down to mighty Mississippi, we took a little bacon and we took a little beans and we caught the bloody British in a town in New Orleans. Mark, how you feeling about that one? I, I'm feeling pretty good about it. I'm feeling pretty good. I mean, <laughs> it's got it obviously, obviously, it's a bit of a jaunty tune, which we like. We like jaunty yeah. tunes. Yeah. Um, drop it in the name there. So I, I kind of dig it. I kind of dig it. So maybe we'll go with that. Probably not. But I, I sent that to the BGN crew and they were they were dying. Solak wanted me to make one for the Kiston Solak show, so I made one for him to play for all of his friends there. But yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a good one. So good historical reference. My historical reference, uh, I'm actually going to give a shout out here. Mark, I want to give a shout out to my dude Ryan Stitt, who does a podcast called The History of Ancient Greece. And he's also a big Eagles fan. And those that have followed my work recently know that I've been on a big ancient Greece kick. And as such, I've been with bated breath awaiting Ryan's treatment on the Peloponnesian Wars. Now, he just released an episode called Thucydides and Periclean Politics. And there's a quote in there that I'll read because I believe it pertains to quarterbacks and the evaluation of quarterbacks in a big way and will allow us to transition to some quarterback talk, which from my understanding, is the subplot of all of these episodes, but here it is. is. Quote, Thucydides also expresses his impatience with those less committed to what he calls the search for knowledge. In doing so, he complains that most people expend very little effort on the search for truth and prefer to turn to ready-made answers. By contrasting himself with less reliable reporters, Thucydides levels stern criticism at those who preceded him without actually mentioning any names, for what he regarded as inaccuracies that demonstrated their superficiality, unquote. He's talking about the logographers in Herodotus, along with the rhetoricians and sophists who he felt were prone to exaggerations and falsehoods. Now, there are several words and phrases in there that caught my attention. For example, superficiality, the lack of thoroughness or serious thought, also ready-made answers, Words like exaggerations, things like falsehoods that are created out of ignorance. Mark, quarterbacks are the most discussed, least understood position in the league. I've often said this, and I know my own limitations on the matter, and I try to stay in my lane. And that's really what caused me to reach out to you to start this show, because I was tired of the masses of unqualified analysts and media heads and talk radio guys blurting out what I believed was nonsense about quarterbacks. And too often, I find analysis of the position to be boiled down to the basics because it's what's necessary for those people to create a take that you can fire off into the world and show that you're paying attention and you're important or whatever. But I digress. So in the interest of giving a full picture of these quarterbacks and where they win from this NFL draft class, I wanted to run a little experiment here that's not uncommon in these circles. I want to build a quarterback from head to toe including both physical and mental aspects of their games. And I want to build this quarterback out of the crop of prospects in the 2019 NFL draft. To start, we'll start with the old brain ball. From a mental processing perspective, is there a quarterback head and shoulders above the rest of the crowd, excuse the pun. And if you want, you can split this into pre-snap and post-snap because there's a very important distinction to make there. Unless, of course, you feel there's a guy that checks both boxes for you in the mental processing category. Mark, who is the best nerd in this class? You know, there are two guys that I'll mention. I'll try to mention two guys for each of these because, you know, it'll give us a chance to talk about some some more quarterbacks and just a handful. I'm going to start... Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State. Uh, I've been talking about him a lot. 
on the timeline, in writing, on pods, off the timeline, away from spotlighting glare of the Twitter timeline. And what I like about Haskins is the process because when you watch him, when you study him, you know he's getting tagged with, oh, just a one-year starter. Maybe he's not developed enough. We needed to see more from him. But that glosses over the fact that when you watch him on film, you see him doing the more advanced things, particularly in the pre-snap phase where he's adjusting and sliding the protections, calling out the mic. And a lot of this is coming not from the side Line. You know, it's one thing in this day and age where quarterbacks, they look over, they see the cue card or whatever, and then they do these things. They're still getting it called in from the sideline. The coaches are telling them what to do. Haskins is doing most of this on his own. He's not having right. to look for the sideline for those cues. He doesn't need to be walked through this. And so from sort of a pre-snap mental process and stage, I really like Dwayne Haskins. So many of my notes on him are filled with great process here. Love the read, love the decision. It's the execution where I sometimes find him lacking, but in terms of sort of pre-snap processing and sometimes post-snap processing, because he's pretty good at sort of moving defenders with his eyes and things like that, I like Haskins. A guy that I think has the total package, both pre- and post-snap, is Brett Rippon from Boise State, and I will hmm. die on this hill. I know I am, but <laughs> it seems to be a crowded hill right now as more and more people are coming aboard onto this little hill or mountain or, or whatever we want to call it. Very active in the pre-snap phase. Again, four-year starter, so he doesn't need to look to the sideline. One of my favorite plays from him is a play against San Diego State where he saw the blitz was coming pre-snap, adjusted the protection, brought in the, the tight end to help in protection. Blitz doesn't get picked yep. up anyway. He still gets drilled in the chops, but throws a perfect throw on a deep out route on third and 10 to move the sticks with velocity and placement yeah. on a boundary route. That's NFL stuff. You know, that's the thing yep. that these are guys are going to be asked to do once they get to the National Football League. And so you've got the pre-snap stuff. The post-snap stuff is there as well with manipulating defenders. One of the first videos I did on him was back in the summer of 2017 where he had a red zone throw and he moved one of the safeties with his eyes when the, they spun the safeties at the snap. And it was he knew exactly what he had to do to move the safeties to throw a post route in the middle of the field and he did it. And so from a pre and post snap perspective, I'm going Brett Rippon from Boise State. I love that. And those two reps that you mentioned, I think we talked about those a couple of months ago because that third and 10 really stands out yeah. in my mind. And, and it's one that stuck with me too. So from a pre-snap perspective, when we build our quarterback, we're looking at Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State. I would definitely agree with that. From a post-snap perspective, we're looking at Brett Rippon, who was a guy I am on that hill with you. I think he's one of the few quarterbacks in this class that matches the value as far as where you're going to get him, where you can get him versus what he's going to give you. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. 
Let's take a quick aside here because I'm so fascinated by the Brett Rippon discussion because it seems like there's such a gulf between how the draft community is starting to view him. I mean, right. you know, I've got him sort of a QB4 right now. It looks like, you know, Kyle Krabs over at the Draft Network, he's got him, I think, in the QB4 range as well, maybe mm-hmm. QB5. People are talking about him that we know and like and respect. He didn't get a senior bowl invite. Right. I was worried he might not even get a combine invite. Right. And so does the NFL not like him or are teams sort of trying to slow roll him? Situation where they're like, okay, let's not ban the table to get him down to Mobile because if he goes, everybody's going to be talking about him. And that's an interesting discussion. I've heard Dane Brugler talk about this as well from the Athletic and the Trusted Tape podcast. And he was talking about how some teams are thankful that certain prospects don't get invited to certain events because that kind of keeps them under the radar. And I'm assuming for some teams, Brett Rippon has got to be that kind of guy. Like how many teams would really want to see Trace McSorley at the Senior Bowl over Brett Rippon. I would really question their evaluation of quarterbacks at that point if that's what they wanted to see. You know what I mean? Especially when you think about the value here because maybe this is more of a discussion for another time, but if you're talking about, say, you know, a Daniel Jones at 32 or a Brett Rippon at 156, like this this is a decision that might, for example, be staring the New England Patriots in the face. You know, and if you can address another need, like I've done a number of mocks right now for the Patriots, they might need a tight end depending on what Gronk does. Noah Font might be staring them in the face at 32. Which is crazy. You do that, and then you get somebody like a Brett Rippon at 156, which I think one of their picks in the fourth round, which might even be higher than how the rest of the NFL views him. Yeah. There's that old sort of question, the difference between evaluation and valuation. You know, right. it's one thing to be high on a player like people seem to be the Brett Rippon. It's another thing to associate the value with him. It's another thing to be yep. sort of low on a player like my, people might be able to say Daniel Jones. But when you look at how the NFL might value that position, he might get artificially pushed up boards. And so maybe it's because of my, my position on him. But I'm so fascinated to see the whole Brett Rippon thing play out over the next couple of months here. Because, you know, if he goes to the combine. Like I just did a piece over inside the pylon talking about the most important place for each of these 17 combine quarterbacks in Indy. And for him, I think it's the media room because Mm. I'm very curious to see how, you know, he comes out of Indianapolis because something tells me similar Jared Stidham rides on the boards in Mobile. Finally, the rest of the NFL is going to get a chance to see him. I think he's going to come out of India. It's like, okay, well, here's your day three guy that might rise. They're going to put him on the board, and I think he's going to do really well. Yeah. I think that's going to be fantastic for his stock, getting that that close-up experience with those coaches in, in those meeting rooms compared to some of these other quarterbacks that have a lot of assistance. Right. N- not – Dwayne Haskins, obviously, he does a lot of stuff pre-snap, but you you put Rippon on a board, like, what is he, second-generation quarterback? Like, he's going to crush it there. I mean, his uncle was a Super Bowl MVP. I mean, so, <laughs> yeah, he he's probably knows the game. And, again, he was a starter as a freshman. I know teams have kind of moved away from the Parcells rules, but Joe Moreto over at the Draft Network put all of these quarterbacks under the microscope, and two of them checked all seven boxes, Rippon and Ryan Finley. Mm-hmm. And there are teams that still believe in that, like the New England Patriots. I'm wondering if the Eagles do too, because like you said, that that later on target, like if he's there, like he's he's really intriguing to me. Okay, let's get off the Brett Rippon discussion until we come across another trade of his that we're going to build our quarterback with. Let's move on to arm talent. And for this, we're going to keep it. We're going to remove accuracy. We're going to do accuracy next, but we're going to talk about arm talent as a matter of arm strength the ability to generate velocity from altered platforms, that kind of thing. You know, what they say, they can make all the throws and and, and all that stuff. Making the far hash throw to the sideline, 
whose arm would you take to put on our build a quarterback? I'm going to mention three guys here. I'm going to kind of cheat. I mean, Drew Locke has the velocity and the downfield passing ability that's going to get people excited. And he sort of showed that yeah. down in Mobile. It's a reason why he was Kuiper's QB1 headed into this year after last year's draft. And so Tyree Jackson, you know, one of the great things about being down in Mobile is the chance to sort of bounce ideas off other people. And I remember on Thursday, Jackson made a throw in the end zone, and I thought it was really slow, but Ben Solak turned to me and he's like, but when you have the hammer, and Jackson has the hammer, and let's not forget, his lower body mechanics are a mess. Like yeah. He really needs to get that cleaned up. He straight legs everything, which happens to tall quarterbacks. He's every inch of 6'7". And so when you overstride, you lock up that front leg, it breaks the throwing chain between the upper and lower body, and it causes a dip in velocity. So if he fixes this, that, it's like when Happy learned to putt. He's going to start <laughs> you know, really dialing up the velocity. And then when you factor in the ability to make throws from any ridiculous platform known to humankind, you have okay. to talk about Kyler Murray. When he gets drafted, whether it's 1, 6, 7, 13, 14, they're going to show that throw he had against Alabama where he throws a post route 55 yards down the field and his feet aren't even on the ground. You know, And the ability to do that from any platform is impressive. And it needs to happen for quarterbacks in today's NFL because defensive ends, defensive linemen, they're taught to mirror the quarterback, get the hands up. So you need to sort of drop arm angles. And for Murray, a quarterback of his size – He's going to have to do that because he's going to face those incidents in the pocket when he wants to create a throwing lane. And if you can't do it with your feet, you need to do it with your arm, and he can do that. And we talked a lot about Kyler Murray on the QB Score Show, episode 13. Go back and check that out. So what we have there from a velocity standpoint, you've got the arm of Drew Locke with the potential of Tyree Jackson if he is able to clean up those lower body mechanics and off-platform you want a guy like Murray, and I completely agree with those assessments right there. What about frame? Who's got the best? You know, NFL evaluators and teams love a big, sturdy quarterback that can take hits and absorb contact, and you don't have to worry about him from a physical perspective. I'm not sure if the data on injury history really backs that up, but it's definitely how NFL teams think. Who has the most NFL-ready, quote-unquote, frame in this draft class. I mean, in terms of frame, the two easy picks, I think, are Haskins and Daniel Jones. Um, You look at both of these guys and you sort of see, okay, I I get why people looked at them initially. Like, Because look, a lot of people, when they start talking about quarterbacks, they check the height and weight and size and frame boxes first. And maybe that's not the best way to do this. I look at other things first. But People look at it. It's the reason why we're wondering where Kyler Murray is going to go because he obviously doesn't check this box, at least doesn't check it easily or in a way that people feel comfortable with. And so I think with Jones, with Haskins, they check those boxes. They have this sort of frame. You think that they're going to be able to absorb the hits and things like that in the NFL. Now, Jones does have an injury history to him, so it doesn't make you wonder about that. But in right. terms of like the general frame for the position, I would go with those two guys. Okay, so we'll go frame. Let's call it Haskins because of the injury history with Jones. And then let's go back to accuracy, which I almost skipped over there. I don't want to do that because accuracy is probably the most important trait, the least teachable trait, I would say, for a quarterback. And Mike Leach would back up that opinion. So if Mike Leach says it, I'm all on board for it. Let's go with accuracy. You can split this up if you want to like short intermediate versus deep, or if you have a guy that does all of it, who is the most accurate quarterback in this class that you would build your quarterback with? It's a tough one to sort of break down, but I think we sort of need to set a framework here because so often when you get into the accuracy discussion with a quarterback, people point to completion percentage and they say, look, he's completed 73% of his passes. Like, 
he's going to be an accurate. What does that mean? How is that happening? It's exactly right. You know, because a quarterback might complete 63% of his passes, but if, you know, half of them are swing routes and smoke screens and things like that, it doesn't really give you the full picture. And so, you know, what we tend to look for is more ball placement. You know, where is he putting the throws, where it needs to be, what it needs to be to put his receivers in a position for yardage after the catch. And so I think when you sort of break that down and you start to study these guys on film, you can break it down into three segments of the field, which is what I kind of do. Short, intermediate, and deep. And short, intermediate, I mean, short accuracy in these guys, I think Jones is pretty good in the short area of the field. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why. When, he, when, he's, on, when he's on his first read, I would agree. When he's on his first read and it's sort of that RPO or West Coast type concept, which is, I think yeah. is what his skill set is pointing towards as a scheme fit for him. He's good. Mm-hmm. He'll throw a hitch route. He'll lead or position the receiver away from coverage, away from leverage. He does that very well. Same thing on slant routes, on tosser concepts or RPOs where you're reading that linebacker, you're pulling or throwing based on what he does. So in the short area, I like Jones. I like Murray too. You know, he has a lot of throws yeah. in the short area of the field that I think sort of fit you know, what that offense does because sometimes he's asked to sort of spread it and create and get the ball to some of those quick receivers, Holly Brown and company in space. And so he's very good in the short area of the field. The ball placement is is pretty good on those throws. When you get to intermediate areas of the field, there are two quarterbacks that I liked, kind of that we've talked about. It's Ryan Finley and Brett Rippon. Though those are two guys that are sort of timing and rhythm based passers. And so you see them throw that sort of deeper out route. Maybe it doesn't have the velocity that gets people excited, but they put it where it needs to be, what it needs to be. The guys that can attack the middle of the field as well, between the numbers, between the hash marks on digs and on curls and stuff like that. And so I like those guys in timing and rhythm based offenses. And I like those guys in the intermediate area of the field. When you get deep, couple of guys you could point to. Drew Locke throws a pretty good deep ball. Sometimes he doesn't put yeah. as much air under it because he's got the big arm, but I think you can mention Drew yeah. Locke. Tyree Jackson makes some ridiculous throws, sometimes rolling to his left, away from his dominant hand, still throws a nice deep ball. The two most consistent guys, I think, Murray stands out, uh, throws, has a yeah. lot of bucket throws on his film. Oh, yeah. And Jordan Tamu from Mississippi. Like, I'm curious to see how some teams view him. I think if you're Carolina... If you're Tampa Bay and you kind of like where you're at with your quarterback, but one guy might have an injury or another guy, maybe you want plan B. This guy might be the guy to look at. His game against Southern Illinois was some of the most fun watching I've had. Because look, they just ran like post go or post comeback and they run a vertical offense and he was making some bucket throws in that game. Now, it was a simplified offense. And when they got to games against like, say, Alabama, you know, they started to struggle a bit. But Tampa throws a nice deep ball, and so I put him in that mix as well. I like that. That's a guy that uh, John Ledyard has been pounding the table for. I, yeah. I met him at the uh, Shrine game down here in St. Petersburg, and we were talking about him. He was saying he was having a decent week, and he was a guy, under-radar type of guy that that he likes. You know, the, another under-the-radar guy that I want to bring up before we get into the legs portion of this, uh, you know, pocket mobility and, and the scrambling ability, Nick Fitzgerald from Mississippi State. It's been put out there that some teams are looking at him – in a role like Taysom Hill. Yeah. Can you kind of see that with Nick Fitzgerald? Because the accuracy definitely isn't there for him. But as far as like a guy that can like run and do enough as a passer, I think he's an interesting cat for that type of role. You know, who who's a quarterback, say, in recent history that came out of college and people wondered like, should this guy consider a position switch? And now we've kind of gotten to the point where he made a sport switch. Who is that? It's he was so- an eagle for a short period of time. It's not like Logan Thomas, is it? Is it Logan Thomas? No, no, Gerard, uh, Gerard Evans? Who, who was the guy? Was that the Virginia Tim Tebow. Guy? Tim Tebow. Wow. 
I totally forgot that Tim Tebow was on the Eagles. That's for a very short period of time. When I was studying Nick Fitzgerald this summer, I literally wrote in my notes more Tebow <laughs> than Mariota. And the oh, reason I sure. wrote that was because Tebow and I think Fitzgerald, they were athletes playing the quarterback position, right. whereas Mariota is just an athletic quarterback. And so the thing with Fitzgerald, what I wrote this week over at Inside the Pylon, the most important spot for all 17 combine QBs, I ton-in-cheek wrote the bench press for him. You know, because he's going to need to have the kind of workout that makes you comfortable thinking, okay, he can take on that kind of role as a, you know, Taysom Hill, where you might put him at H back, you might line him up a wide receiver, he might play some special teams, you do some gadgety type things with him. Hill was doing like seal blocks against like Malcolm Jenkins and doing it like really well when they would split him in tight as a wide receiver. He was asked to do a lot of blocking physical things. That's interesting. Yeah, because if you're going to have carve out that kind of role for him, it can't be like a wildcat where you've got, you know, Mark Sanchez getting scared by, corner sort of step into him so you've got to be able to you know be functional in terms of being a football player and so when he gets to Indy I'm very curious how much of the workouts he does because if he does it all if we see him doing the broad jump in the vertical and benching 225 17 times or so you're gonna know how he's being viewed by NFL teams or at least what's getting back to him in his camp about how teams view him and look I saw that report too that they're viewing him as a third or fourth rounder as sort of a gadget type player and if he has that kind of workout in India, it would make some sense. Interesting. Now let's talk about legs because he's got that running dynamic to his game. We can split legs up into pocket mobility, like inside the pocket, the way you would think of like a Tom Brady, or we could talk about it as as a scrambler, someone like a Russell Wilson, or we can do both. If you were to be able to put any set of legs, maybe, maybe let's do this. Let's go legs and feet. We'll go legs for the scrambling ability. We'll do feet for the pocket mobility. Who are your guys? Well, as far as legs go, I think it's one, and it's Kyler Murray. I mean, right. okay. it's Easy. hard to get off that. I mean, you could say maybe – a Tyree Jackson who has some ridiculous lawn speed for a guy of his size, but I think yeah. the easy answer is Murray. And hey, you know, sometimes when life gives you the, the gimme putt, you take the gimme putt and you walk to the next <laughs> team because, you know, like you it. don't get those too often. When it comes to feet, I'm going to throw out two interesting names here. Gardner Minshew. Ooh. What I love about Gardner Minshew, obviously anybody that has breathed the same air that Mike Leach has breathed, you know, we're going to love that person. Yeah. Just put that out there. I'm sure, Mike, right. if you and I could enroll at Washington State and take his current class on guerrilla warfare and the air raid <laughs> offense, we would sign up in a heartbeat. And Absolutely. so, Gardner Mitchell. But no, when you watch him on film, you see him working through progression reads and getting those feet and the mind in sync. And he's always in that sort of ready throwing position. And so the pocket footwork is very impressive with him. Another guy who I like in the pocket in terms of pocket presence, but I'm kind of soured on some other things, is Easton Stick. And I know mm. he sort of went into the Shrine game week as guy getting a lot of buzz. People thought he might have been the best quarterback down there. You saw him. Didn't have a great week. But when you study him on the film, moves around the pocket pretty well. Has that ability to sort of click and climb a pocket that not a lot of quarterbacks do. I'd like to see Dwayne Haskins do more of that. I think he's learning. So I think Haskins might get there. But for right now, I like the footwork from those two guys in the pocket. So as we look as our fully built quarterback now. Not fully built. Ooh. We got one more body part, perhaps the most important one. Their jump. The heart. No, their, their heart, their competitive toughness. I did have that written down. Yeah, competitive toughness. Who Who is the biggest competitor? Who's got the heart of a champion from these guys? I'll mention three guys. From what we've seen on the field, I'll go with Dwayne Haskins. One of my favorite games to study this year was his game against Purdue. They got down big. You know, they were having to come from behind. He threw it 73 times. You know, he's still out there sort of giving it the old college try and – no, that counts for something. 
Yeah. You don't want to see a quarterback, the leader of your team, sort of fold up the tent. You know, he's still out there in the third quarter, like taking shots, getting hit in, hit in the chest um, on some throws, on some third down throws. And again, not a guy with that incredible pocket mobility and explosiveness. So he's going to have to hand in the pocket and take those hits. And he did that. And so I was impressed by that game. So I liked that. Two guys for more sort of off the field reasons, Gardner Minshew, Talk to him at Mobile. He's trying to be Baker 2.0. He legitimately is. He has that chip on his shoulder out there saying that, look, I'm here to prove not only the people that didn't believe in me wrong, but the people that believed in me right. Going that Baker chip on his shoulder line, trashing college-style, pro-style offenses with air quotes that had me swooning. So put him in that mix. And Will Greer. He's a guy that I love his confidence. I love his swagger. Those are things you need as a quarterback. You have to have that belief in yourself that you are the best person, not just on your team, but the best person out there. And those are things he legitimately said at Mobile. I'm the best quarterback in this group. I have the best arm in this group. You better believe I'm throwing at the combine. Now, is he right on all of those things? Probably not. But to to steal a line from Viper, that's mighty arrogant considering the company he's in. But I like that in a quarterback. So – now that we have the hard and good catch, Mark, let's let's talk about our uh, our, our fully built quarterback. I, I have this image of my head where I'm just going to take a bunch of different photos and throw them in MS Paint and throw together this monstrosity of, of a quarterback. And it's early sort of Simpsons right. animation yeah, it's, style. It's going to be ugly, yeah. but mental uh, mental processing pre snap Dwayne Haskins, mental processing post snap Brett Rippon out of Boise State, velocity. Let's go with Drew Locke from Missouri. Off-platform, we like what Murray does from Oklahoma. Short accuracy, Daniel Jones from Duke. Intermediate accuracy, Ryan Finley from NC State. Deep accuracy, Murray again. Frame, Haskins. Legs, Murray. Feet in the pocket, Gardner Minshew. Love that dude. He's got a good mustache, too. And heart. Good stash. <laughs> and heart, Dwayne Haskins. So that is our build the quarterback I think we did it, Mark. I think we did the thing. That's going to that's gonna do it for the show. Do you have any last words for the gentle listeners before we get out of here? Yeah, I think we should rename the show to QB Stash Scouting. <laughs> like, we're just scouting quarterbacks based on the perfection of their stash QB, or lack thereof. QB Stash and Symmetry Scouting because that's a thing. Oh, you got to have a real symmetrical a quarterback. <laughs> like, what would it say about a quarterback if he came out with an asymmetrical stash? Would that sh- make you shy away from them or make you think, man, look, if you've got the stones to do that, I'm a believer. I mean, maybe it's like a man bun thing. Like, if you can pull it off, then much respect. But if you can't, like, what are you doing? I know, judging by your timeline and the wee baby Augustus, you are team man bun, which makes our good friend Trevor Sycamore happy. And so, look, you know, if you could pull off the the mustache, the asymmetrical mustache and a man bun at the same time, that's QB1. No doubt. So that is going to do it for the QB Sco Show. This has been episode 14. Remember, hit that subscribe button. Go to Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, five stars. We absolutely love the appreciation that you guys have shown us. We are getting close to 1 million downloads since the relaunch. We are very, very close to that. So we're going to have a special thank thank you for you guys when we hit that landmark. It's going to be soon. So that is awesome. And we appreciate all the support. And thank you for listening in to the QB Sco Show. Thank you.